know. Okay. No, you're too quiet now. <laughs> now I'm too quiet? I just I just can't get it right. You'd think after all this time. Uh, I do want to mention really quick before we get into anything, uh, I dove back through our old podcast today. Three days ago, two years ago, was our first, well, I guess not the first Kasa podcast, but the, the beginnings of the the new Kasa podcast. So this podcast, the Kasa Live that we do now, is two years old. We've been doing this for two whole years, which is just wild to me. Just absolutely wild. So happy anniversary, Kasa Live. And welcome, everyone. Uh, I see a whole bunch of people in chat already. Cemetery Skip Murray is here. Adrian, welcome, everybody. Janine is with us today. Green-Eyed Lady, Earn, thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it is myself and Kristen, and we have a special guest, which we will be bringing on shortly. Kristen is by far, as of right now, the the best, the most well-dressed of all of us. I'm hanging out <laughs> And our special guest was very concerned. <laughs> I'm wearing jeans and slippers. I, you know, I, I... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm rocking slippers right now. Everybody's lucky I even have pants on for this show. That's the beautiful thing, right? About being on YouTube or live streaming is people only see you from the waist up. So, yeah. welcome everybody. Thank you again for being here. Um, I don't know if we have any other like announcements or anything before we get into legislation. So Kristen, whenever you are ready, we do have- Well, I just got a little sidetracked, but did you say hello to the people who are watching the recording? Oh, and yes, hello, Replay Crew. I'm so sorry. Huge <laughs> apology for like the past two years of for forgetting about all of you. I don't forget <laughs> about you. It's just, I just never say hello and welcome and thank you. Thank you for watching the replay and thank you for being here. That's two years worth of thank yous just piled up. It's like one, it's like a gift box full of a stack of thank yous for all of you. So um, otherwise I think I even made a sticky note, Kristen, and I didn't even read. <laughs> You're having a day. <laughs> yeah, it's a day. It's a day for sure. Well, on that note, are you ready to get into some legislation? I'm ready. All right, let's do the thing. Okay, everybody, bear with me because Alex usually does this. So he did prepare notes for me, which I am just going to pretty much read verbatim. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we've got some local things going on in Ohio, in Cleveland. Uh, they have introduced and are advancing to a second hearing or second reading or to a reading or second hearing. Uh, watch for a call to action next week. Um, this is a flavor ban and it is, I'm looking at this, 184 2023. So if you're in Ohio, watch your emails, watch our uh, social media. We'll be sending this out. On the state level, we have a bunch of stuff, like I said, in the uh, in the news blog this week, five different states, and it's, it's growing, unfortunately. Uh, in, Amer in Maryland, we've got SB 259, which is a flavor ban. Um, we do have an active call to action for that right now. If you'd like to speak at the hearing, check out the 2023 Witness Committee guidelines. Um, oral testimony, testimony sign up and written testimony submission will be open one business day in advance of the scheduled bill hearing. It'll be open from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, uh, Logan's sharing all these links in the chat and I will add them to the description after the um, show and they're also available on each state page if you just scroll down to the open calls to action. Uh, the next state is Oregon. Oregon HB 3090 is also a flavor ban. 
we have an open uh, call to action for that as well. The uh, anti-vaping folks started their campaign in support of this bill last week. Uh, there is a uh, link out there from wweek.com. We'll, I'll share that in the description as well. Uh, so Oregon resident, residents, keep an eye on your inboxes for an alert coming up next week if you're in Oregon. Connecticut, HB 6488, another flavor ban. <laughs> These are being popular. Um, so I'll, I'll repost that Connecticut one. There's supposed to be a space there. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not, I'm looking at the sheet. I'm not looking at the chat. Okay. So there is also an active call to action on our Connecticut page for that. You'll also find it in our fa Connecticut Facebook group. Uh, right now we don't have an update on that, but please, if you have not checked it out yet and you're in Connecticut, go out and check, check the call, the action call to action for that HB 6488. New Mexico is HB 94, also a flavor ban. We have an active call to action on that on our New Mexico webpage and also our um, Facebook, New Mexico Facebook group that has passed health committee. It is now listed in the House Commerce and Economic Development Committee. There is no hearing schedule at this time, but that does not mean you can't go and contact your representatives and tell them that this is a bad idea. Uh, Hawaii. Hawaii actually has two fun bills going on right now. Hawaii HB 551, a flavor ban. Again, there is an active call to action on our state Hawaii page and our Hawaii Facebook group. There is lots of support for this bill, obviously not from us, but from the antis. Um, but like the tax bill, we're going to be talking about the effective date is pushed back to 3000 to encourage further debate. I'm not sure what these Yeah, these. they do this from time to time when they don't really have like an official date for anything. It's just kind of uh, open-ended, but I believe they're required to include a date. So they just push it like a thousand years into the future as just like a, a you know, a placeholder really. But even with that, it has passed the second reading as amended in HD1 and it has been referred to the committee or committees on CPC, um, so far, no one's voting aye with reservations. Representatives Pirik voting no, and Representative Kila Lamasau have excused, whatever that means. Um, so if you're in Hawaii, please check that out. Again, you can still contact your representatives and uh, tell them this is a bad idea. The tax is HB 537. Uh, call to action also is on the Hawaii page. That was amended in the Consumer Protection Committee to be an unspecified tax with an effective date of January 1st, 3000. So weird to read that date. Read that date. Okay. Uh, campaign for Tobacco Free Kids opposes the bill, likely because the tax isn't high enough for their liking. And they are waiting around for 77 years for the bill to take effect. <laughs> oh, and the waiting for around 77 years for the bill to take effect, which is really about just keeping the debate open. So as, as he explained earlier. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're required to have some kind of date on the paper. And so when they're just open ended. Right, right. You know what I mean? They're just like, okay, well, a thousand years sounds like a good enough amount of time. So, <laughs> right. And uh, um, we're actually going to ask see if Greg has some uh, stuff to say. Well, actually, he's actually wrote in the chat that he's got some, some input. He does have some input here. So, and I, then Indiana, I guess too, something's going on in Indiana. Uh, Greg, or not Greg. Alex says that he uh, he's watching it and um, there might be an update 
next week or so. So um, we'll talk about that so as well. And uh, that is your legislative rundown for this week. Yeah. Again, all the stuff's as on the website. Far as, as far as Indiana is concerned, for anybody wondering, the bill to watch is HB 1133. Right. Uh, it was assigned to a committee, but there's no scheduled hearing yet. We don't have any links or anything to that. But if you're in Indiana or you have friends or family in Indiana, HB 1133 is what you're going to watch. We don't have any idea what the bill specifically is. We have no other specifics other than a bill number and that it was assigned to committee. So, And I know last week too, just as a heads up, I'm, I'm in Wisconsin and there was a, I don't know, Milwaukee has seems like it's a lost cause sometimes because it doesn't seem like when I've been going down there for stuff that people really showed up. And uh, I'm not sure how many people are going to jump up and and fight this one but they're doing sort of a moratorium on um what was it on vape shops opening up like they're for six months they're not gonna let any new vape shops open mm. up which i mean it's just ridiculous. vapor actually said this in chat i had it started because i was going to mention it oh, later uh, they said we need you in milwaukee they just about it i did put it in months. the um in the uh the Wisconsin Facebook group. And I did also put it in the newsletter and I tweeted about it and posted it on Facebook uh, to give people a heads up about it. But really this is going to be something the vape shops are going to have to fight. I mean, and, and maybe Greg will have some tips on that as well when he gets on, yeah. but uh, because it's just ridiculous that a bunch of gas stations can open up and keep selling cigarettes, but a vape shop with low risk alternatives can't, it just, it's just dumb. But anyhow, sure. let's, uh, we can talk about that some more with Greg too. So, uh, and I, I want to apologize really quick for the, the mess that those links were going into chat. <laughs> it wouldn't like, let me put spaces in or when I did, it would just delete them. Mm, I don't yeah, know. It, They're going to yeah, be available yeah. in all the descriptions and It'll everywhere the, else. You can also, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, I put out a, a, a thread just a day or two ago, listing all of these calls to action. You can head right to that. It's on the screen at Logan Exhales, um, and and we've posted all of them on the Kassad Twitter as well. So there's plenty of places to find those links other than my horrible admin responsibilities here in chat, you guys. I apologize. I'll take But that. without further ado, I think we're ready to bring Greg on because he definitely has some things to add to legislative. Run the bumper. Right now. You want me to run that, that run beautiful bean footage? All right. <laughs> Greg Conley, everybody. Hey, everybody. Live from my grandmother's house. I visited her for Valentine's Day. And oh, as nice, I pointed though. out to you in chat, uh, when you listen to Casa Live on Spotify, it is merely an audio stream. Yep, yep. <laughs> so it's, uh, and you had mentioned our, our spaces, Twitter spaces. We do, we, we haven't done one in a while, but we do those on Twitter as well. We were doing them every other Wednesday. Uh, yeah. But this live stream, we do live across the board and then I pull the audio and it gets posted out to where you've been listening to it on Spotify and yeah. it's on SoundCloud and all of those, those places as well. Maybe we should have made it a little more clear, but yeah. I think great. I always bring my laptop when I go out. So that's I'll good. Yeah. That's good. Well, although I didn't yeah, I mean, put in the email, you might, you might want to arrive early to check your audio and video. So that might be emails. With the guest <laughs> You won't open the email with the guest info until about five minutes beforehand. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. 
Perfect. That's what Logan said. I'm like, is he coming? He's like, he's probably looking at the email now. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I saw the 4.30 thing and went, I'll be there right at 4.30. Ignore my voicemail, by the way. I called it because that's exactly what I do. That's okay. Kristen is always the best. Like, She's the most well-dressed one here all the time. Usually I'm in like a hoodie and a hat, which I am right now. Alex is usually in too. like just a t-shirt. So Glad I didn't break your streak, Kristen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Kristen is oh, definitely the most professional amongst us. Well, now I'm going to wear a hoodie ne again next week. I've worn hoodies on this show before, you guys. Stop. <laughs> but you often do wear like a suit or something, so I wanted to make me fairly presentable today. I didn't want to look like I just wear, got it rolled out of my bed and was wearing my PJs. <laughs> it is extremely rare for me to do interviews on video without my suit on. Right, right. right. This is a good that so you are a, a human of, like the rest of us. I know, I know. It's a continuation of the habit when you're when you're 24 years old and trying to be taken <laughs> seriously as a legislative uh, guru of sorts. Uh, it just I went to the suit and it worked. Sure, I was sure. going to ask you that. That that's a good good segue into starting our segment with you. Is uh, you started this very young your advocacy and uh, maybe start from the beginning. How did you get into vaping? Sure, so I really loved cigarettes. I wasn't a heavy cigarette smoker, but I was a great fan of them. And I went to law school and law school, Camden, New Jersey, surrounded by a lot of people who grew up upper middle income, upper income. They don't really smoke cigarettes unless perhaps it's 1 a.m. on a Friday night, drunk at a party. and. <laughs> you start to not feel particularly accepted when you go out to have that cigarette with the one or two uh, scofflaws in the class who also do. And there was a video that came up online and it is still on YouTube as of a year ago. And it was titled something to the extent of the greatest benefit of using an electronic cigarette. And it was this uh, man, this large man, naked in a shower, shot from about this way up. Oh, and I remember that singing, one. Singing classical music while using probably the Royan device. Yeah, and, when I saw, I and then when I saw that the FDA was trying to ban these things, that's like the perfect advertising. The, the, the government wants to ban something and the libertarian websites are saying, maybe the government's <laughs> wrong. Well, I should try it. And when I eventually did manage to quit, it took a while. The original product that I bought, the RN4081, was junk. And I tried and tried, failed, but eventually saved up money to get the good device. And... From the second that I quit, I think it was December uh, or August, yeah, August of 2010, I just saw that there were, within a couple of months, I saw the legislative fights. And I was naive enough at that time to think, well, these anti-tobacco people, once they actually see the science, once they hear the stories from all these good people I'm seeing on eSig Forum, they'll change their mind. So part of that was just calling around to just picking up the phone, calling local health departments when they would say absurd things about vaping, calling state legislators when they would introduce a bill because the heart, lung, or cancer society told them to. And that led me to CASA, where I kind of forced my way into the organization and, and then would just do things without permission. <laughs> yeah, that you did do. I will say that. You didn't force your way in, but you you were very welcome. But yeah, you did kind of, kind of do your own thing sometimes. But, you know, it was... It was great. I mean, you had so much, I, I envied your just, what is it? NFGs, no Fs given, you know, of, I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to go talk to this person. I'm going to call this legislator. I'm going to, I'm like, 
we needed somebody like that back then. I mean, we, I mean, we still always need somebody like that. And, and that was great. And you were how old when you joined Casa? Uh, 23 or 24. That's what I, I thought. I was in my second year, I think, of law school or ending my first year yeah. of law school. So yeah. I had, I added an MBA on that, which added another six months to, to live in fantasy land and be a volunteer 50 hours a week. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was a clerk for a judge for a year and continued with Casa. Yeah. So I think I totaled out at around three and a half years. Right. God, but yeah, back in the day, so people hadn't dug in their heels on this issue. Maybe they were against it because it looked like smoking, but they were willing to listen. So when you don't know anything about a topic, when you haven't dug your heels in and you get a phone call from somebody who sounds half authoritative saying, I'd like to talk about the issue, you'd be shocked. You'd get, you'd get the, the head of the, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee in Tennessee to just call me back while I was interning at a federal judge's office and, and then end the conversation by saying, oh, you know what? I think this bill is never going to be heard. And you actually get to see there are still a couple state bills where definitions that I wrote or finessed when I was 25 years old are, are still in law today. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you think it helped that you had that sort of I mean, you were calling from a judge's office. Did that give you a little leg up than somebody calling from Skokie, Illinois or something? <laughs> so no, because, because oh. I did not want to get in trouble with my judge. So I never disclosed mm. that. My judge didn't care if I, both my judges, okay. the federal judge I interned for and the judge I actually worked for for a year, they both had the attitude of, as long as you do your work, have fun with whatever vape thing you're doing. Right. <laughs> and, but I would not say I was calling from the, the office of, of the federal judge. Oh yeah. I didn't think you'd do that, but I thought maybe caller ID or something would give you a little bit of a, <laughs> so that's, that's something that anybody can do. And that's something we told people a, a lot is that don't be afraid to call these people. A, they work for you, you know, and, and B, they're just people and usually going to talk to their um, assistant or whatever, anyhow, right? Yeah, thankfully, I got a lot of experience as a teenager. Before I ever joined CASA, I did concert photography. And that involved, when I was 15, 16 years old, calling record labels to figure out who the press representative or the tour manager is for a group and calling mm. that person to sound authoritative, to sound like I'm not 15 years old, to try to get the free pass to go backstage <laughs> and do the photography and everything. So right. you, you learn, I learned, thankfully, from an early age, I'm not, not uh, tremendous at making sales calls by any means, but I can call to, to talk to a legislator or to try to get something if I need it. Sure. In all, in all the calls that I've, I've made, I have yet to actually reach, you know, uh, my governor or a, a rep. It's always uh, an assistant, a secretary, something like that. And I'm basically leaving a memo for but uh, but yeah, maybe I need to maybe I need to do a little bit of backstage music photography or something so I can learn those learn those ends. Well, well when I was know, in real estate, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say just your local state representative, state senate. They all have mailing lists and they all do events like coffee with a cop, coffee with a teacher. Um, sure. And yeah. they invite people to come and they want to sit down and talk to people, or at least they pretend to. So that's that's your <laughs> local opportunity. Uh, there are local opportunities. You just they don't uh, put them on a billboard next to your house. You just got to look for them. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have to do cold calling when I was in real estate. We went through this whole course back in the 
early 2000s. And that was awful. I was not a salesperson. I was more of a buyer's rep. But having lived through that, calling a senator's office, who you know came from, you know, they worked, they had a normal job before they started that, most of them. So Mm -hmm. they just, would you be afraid to call the you know, the guy who works for a meat company or something, who's now a, a state representative, you know, so if you think of it that way, it kind of brings them a little bit down to, down to earth, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It does help when I've, I've gone to legislator events that are two or three day festivity kind of things. And to see the guy at 1230 at night, four drinks in, and you really get a sense like, oh yeah, he's, he's complaining about the same problems at home. <laughs> I would if I was home. Sure. And we don't expect, you know, normal consumers to be able to do this. Or I mean, heck, you sat next to the president practically. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, I guess the uh, it's a shame that the, the one president that has and probably will ever invite me to the White House uh, <laughs> has lost his mind. But, <laughs> hey, a president of the United States invited me to the White House. I'll take that's it. That's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. And yeah. that was because you had started uh, AVA, which you know you've been very active, and you're you've gotten a lot of media t- attention from that because you had eventually left Casadas to go off and do your own thing because you pretty much were doing that anyhow. But <laughs> it was time for the chick to. You already cut your teeth. It was time for you to get sort of you know jump out of the nest. <laughs> but uh, so you went and started AVA, which some people think of this being more of a manufacturer's type or an industry type group, but it's not. You were doing it more from a consumer or maybe a general. What was your idea for that? So the ABA came about back in 2013 or so. I had clerked for a judge for a year. I passed the bar exam in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and faced the sad reality of life, which is you actually need to get paid for your work. You don't want to live in a van and you have to pay for the van somehow. So that led me to kind of put a, a deadline on myself of, well, I have money saved up for my clerkship. I don't have to pay much rent where I am. Give it six months and see where I'm at. And during that process, I talked to Kevin Bowers of VP Live and Antoinette Cunningham, who was with Nickwit at the time and, and some others. I remember. Um, Scott, Rob, the whole team, the whole kind of functioning organization of, of Nickwit and, and uh, Flavors Depot, a couple other companies, I apologize for uh, Alt Smoke, big one. They all came together and said, hey, we'd be willing to put in X dollars per month for at least a year if you wanted to start an organization. And they came up with the name of American Vaping Association, ABA, great name. Only problem is I didn't want to do a trade trade association. I didn't want to compete with Safada at the time. So we kept the name, but we became a 501c4 which is the same type of organization Casas. is. We just never claimed that we were representing consumers. We took industry donations. And I just continued the same playbook of reaching out to to, uh, to journalists, doing uh, testifying at the state level, just doing anything to get our name out there, to get the message out there. And then, yeah, after five years or so of doing this, then the Trump presidency came along and you had the longest year of my life where the jewel panic led into Ivali, which led into the famous vaping White House summit of 2019. That was surreal seeing you in that room. I was just like, <laughs> we're just watching that. It was, it was crazy. Poor Paul Blair, poor Paul Blair of Americans for Tax Reform, who was possibly a louder voice than me during this debate. And he got 
articles in the Washington Examiner that Trump literally did read and react to within the White House. But Paul uh, was not executive level at Americans for Tax Reform, so he did not get to attend. So uh, I'm sure uh, somewhere out there, Paul still wishes that he was at the White House meeting. That is crazy. That is crazy. And you did AVA for how long? <clears throat> I think it was about six years, and I still am technically uh, in charge of AVA, right. which is at vaping.org. Uh, but I took a new job. Uh, so AVA, I'm not getting paid there for the last six months or so. Uh, but I took a new job in July with the American Vapor Manufacturers Association because I was so impressed with the work that they'd done over the last two years that I thought, well, uh, just as I uh, left CASA to, to go off on my own, it's, I thought after five, six years, it was time to, to join something else. Right. And and they're, they're, if people don't know it, they also, they're industry, but that's the weird thing about the vaping industry is that so much there's there's small manufacturer representation they're not they're not they don't have you know altria or philip morris for clients based or for as members or whatever it's, it was originally started for small manufacturers and as we know most small manufacturers started out as consumers got a vape shop or started a line or something like that and then ended up in industry and that's the weird thing about this this whole um, advocacy situation is that you've just got this crazy in, intermingling of people who are consumers who became industry, but are, they're still consumers. And, you know, you've got just consumer consumers and, and then the bigger companies are the ones that are, they, they probably never vaped in their life, but. <laughs> yeah. Although we're now starting to see um, the people, people who were Advocates on this side or got interested in this issue because of vaping, just general ex-smokers who now vape, they are starting to become the ranks of the large tobacco companies. There aren't many people who who look at tobacco and nicotine and say, that's an industry I want to be in in 2023, unless they have some personal connection to it. Yes, there's a lot of money to be made, but that more and more in the government relations space, you're starting to see more and more people who are personally uh, radicalized by the antis, which I love to see. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we just Whether saw some- Even if they're not a vapor, their mom is somebody who, who switched to vaping and then for a while went back to cigarettes and then they still complain about that to this day. Like you're starting to see some real emotion from people who for years um, were paid to, to not be particularly emotional. Yeah. Whenever I see folks, uh, you know, consumers or, or people who, uh, kind of move from this side of the industry towards Altria, PMI, you know, bigger incumbent tobacco companies. One of my favorite movies of all time, I don't know if anybody here has ever seen it, but it's called SLC Punk. Mm -hmm. uh, and the whole movie, it's about kind of the life of punks in Salt Lake City in the 80s. And at the end, uh, the main character who goes to law school ends up becoming a lawyer and says something along the lines of, it's a lot easier to fight the system once you're inside it. And that's what I think of every time I see somebody make that jump, make that move. Um, and oftentimes people, at least, you know, on Twitter, online, catch a lot of backlash for that. Um, and I'm, I'm in the corner cheering them on, you know, because that's what I think of. Like, I would much rather see people who understand this and, and are passionate about this move into those places where they can help make effective change from the inside and, and hopefully retain those, you know, those values and morals that they had before they they made that move. 
Um, given your your kind of moving around this these these shifts from CASA to AVA now to AVM, have you ever gone through that? Was there ever any backlash for you personally, kind of jumping and moving around from from position to position? Jumping and moving around, no. But my uh, advocacy has always been centered on adult smokers. And when you're thinking about adult smokers and not necessarily current users, current users can look at new things, whether it's Juul four years ago, five years ago, or disposables three years ago, and think, what I have in my hand today works just fine for me. And those new things, they're going to screw things up. And sometimes they do. But nonetheless, um, there were certainly times where I was attacked because I was seen as uh, pushing for products that are not core vape shop products. But ultimately, I think this industry needs to innovate. This industry needs new players. And so I welcome new innovations. And so I've taken some heat on that, but uh, that's just part of it's, it's only a vapors have never given me as much hatred as tobacco control has. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us at CASA have taken very, you know, similar kind of uh, maybe backlash, maybe isn't the right word, or criticism. Uh, for certain stances, because it's always been tools in the toolbox for us, whatever, whatever it might be, whoever might be making or manufacturing that product, if it falls under the category of safer nicotine, it's a tool in the toolbox, you know, whether that's smokeless tobacco or yeah, whether that's smokeless tobacco or the jewel, like you said, not a core vape shop product. Um, they're all tools in the toolbox, ultimately. Skips yeah, no, uh, in my opinion, if like, you want, oh, sorry, I was just reading Skip's comment. She says, in my opinion, if you want tobacco companies to do the right thing, you need the right people working at them. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you come into this issue, if you are a smoker and you pick up a vape on your first day, you're probably, chances are, you trust mainstream tobacco control and FDA more than you do the tobacco industry. Yeah. Uh, but if anyone who digests this issue for more than a year or two and really cares about the truth behind tobacco harm reduction, you almost inevitably come to the conclusion that, oh yeah, actually I trust the tobacco industry in 2023 much more than I do the group <laughs> that needs to ban all of these products and continue to lie to me about these products. Um, but then there are those, if you're just a general vapor, and maybe you follow a couple pages on Facebook just so you can see what a new flavor is, you don't digest and grasp that debate. So you're gonna still think in your mind that every time you take a vape off, you take a puff off of a vape, you're giving the middle finger to big tobacco. Uh, When in reality, if you learn about the issue, you're really giving the middle finger to people who uh, don't want you to have that right at all. Yeah, did you see our last show, the one about the, it's big tobacco or, our biggest threat or greatest threat is we basically are trying to make that argument. And that gets us in trouble a lot. I mean, a lot of people, when we talk about things like snooze or anything that's made by the tobacco company, when we were supporting Juul as being in, that should be an option, even disposables. And we say, no, you shouldn't be banning the stuff. Oh, ban those. We should only have it in vape shops and stuff like that. And like you said, it's that whole, I have what works for me. So you can ban everything else. That's fine. <laughs> it's like no no we don't even support banning cigarettes for pete's sake because that's just not not our job you know that's not what we should be doing yep. yeah we shouldn't we shouldn't be supportive of policies that have failed globally for decades and decades yeah. and just pray prohibition, prohibition. yeah 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I do want to, I do want to say that I have an appreciation for every time that you've brought up, uh, you know, incumbent tobacco companies, big tobacco companies, there's a little in 2023, you said, you know, people who trust big tobacco in 2023, because obviously big tobacco companies today are not the same companies they were in the seventies and in the eighties. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there. I think, I think that that little in 2023 is, is, is a really important point to make that these, these companies have changed, you know, even though they are still, still selling uh, combustible tobacco for a number of reasons, um, there is a lot of interest, I think, in, in exiting that as well. The people who lie to the American public are either long retired and living in a nice villa somewhere, or they are being eaten by worms. And at some point, maybe oh, once yeah. the body decomposes to a certain part, you mm-hmm. kind of have to recognize that organizations uh, change because the people within them change. And so sure. that's been one of the learning lessons over the last 10, 12 years. I remember when I first got like the first phone calls from large tobacco companies to discuss bills. They weren't always the most friendly. Uh, Oklahoma, for one, uh, there's a whole backstory there where that was one of the moments where I just said, you know what, I'll ask forgiveness from Casa rather than permission, where Reynolds decided in 2012-ish to run a tax bill in Oklahoma. And their idea in the back of their minds was, well, we need a reasonable tax on the books to show to other states. And in my mind, go to your home state of North Carolina if you want a reasonable tax, don't go interfering in one of the states with the highest smoking rates in the nation. And back then it was, I didn't really give much thought to it, to just going and trotting out the same old tobacco industry is evil attack. And sometimes you have to do that because you do what works. Um, But the people who have moved into those positions since uh, they're actually users of the products. Uh, They know the science. Uh, They're not uh, certainly great players uh, at the corporate level. But compared to the people who just want to eliminate this industry, I'd rather work with them. Yeah, yeah for sure. Now, moving moving from, you know, consumer advocacy work into uh, more industry advocacy work, has your your approach changed in the way that you you go about, um, you know, speaking to legislation or, or reaching out or making phone calls, things like that? Has your is your approach to that shifted? So I do think when you're speaking on behalf of businesses, you do have more of a responsibility to uh, keep your cool, uh, let people lie more so than when I felt like I was representing uh, or, or advocating for the products themselves, not the companies. But by and large, the style remains the same. Um, Connecticut, just two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, I testified on that bill via Zoom and actually got some Q&A. Um, one legislator called me disingenuous. Another one said that I was only talking, uh, I was only saying the things I was saying about nicotine because I was getting paid to. Um, and I did do some pushback, but I feel like if it was three years ago, I would have pushed back even more uh, because I did not, because uh, I wasn't representing the industry itself. Right. So some minor changes, it changes the way you write testimony. You, you write more about uh, small businesses and such, but really the the advocacy tools and the reasons why you should oppose x bill or support y bill they remain much the same and you just mentioned connecticut and you had mentioned earlier you uh new mexico and we didn't give you a chance to put that in there what's going on with connecticut and new mexico but if you're up for a second then we'll get back to that (laughs) sure yeah connecticut is just this this monster bill we've been fighting it for three plus years 
Um, two years in a row, we had versions of the bill that would have allowed products with PMTAs, uh, including PMTAs filed to continue to be sold. The campaign for tobacco-free kids freaked out at the last minute uh, on that and killed it. So now they are back this year, but unlike last year, where the bill would have banned all flavored tobacco products, including menthol cigarettes, this bill actually exempts menthol uh, products. So Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids opposed the bill and said that it should be killed uh, unless they add back in menthol cigarettes, which uh, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but I would say it, it feels like some legislators may not like the idea of adding in this multi-million dollar product line after you've held a public hearing that didn't include it. Um, so we'll see what happens in Connecticut, uh, but then New Mexico. No, wait, just well, on that thought, <laughs> how ridiculous, I mean, if people don't stop and think about it, what, what Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids is doing there is on one hand, they've just told you how threatening, how dangerous, how awful these products are, and you need to get them off the market, but they're willing to just ignore that so they can get one more thing in the bill. Yeah. I mean, just look at the hypocrisy. I'm not talking to you, obviously. I'm talking to our audience. But just that hypocrisy there of think about what they're really doing. Supposedly, these products are so horrible that we need to get rid of them right now. But they're willing to just not do that because they're not getting all their cake and eating it, too, or whatever. I mean, it's just Yep. I just wanted to point that out. Sorry, go on. New, New very, Mexico. <laughs> very typical strategy of them, all or nothing, mm -hmm. uh, because they know the money's still going to be there the next year to lobby. Um, and New Mexico has been a, a sad sight to see. A lot of misinformation has spread down there. You have legislators who are saying things like vaping causes addiction and thus vaping should be implicated in the fentanyl crisis. Um, you have people just flat out saying, I would like to ban these things altogether, not just flavors. Um, the, the good news, if there is good news in New Mexico, is that in the past, you've had the public health committee on both the, ho the House side and the Senate side that has just been willing to pass anything. If it's anti-vaping, it's going to get a six to three vote and move. And then it usually has to go to a finance committee or some other government uh, committee that is less health related. And so what sense that I have received is that the flavor ban, because it extends to all products, not just vape, that does not, is unlikely to have legs, not guaranteed by any means, but mm. raising the tax definitely does. Um, a couple of years ago, the governor wanted a tax. She was willing to negotiate. The industry came to the table. They did bifurcated taxation, where I feel like they ended up with something like 12.5% of wholesale on open system vapor products. So not great, but certainly better than many states. Right. And now they want to eliminate any differential taxation, eliminate uh, bifurcated, like they just want to uh, pound the industry this year. We, we will see. Yeah, they just want a, a sweeping tax across the board. Yeah. <sighs> yep. <sighs> So what, what kind of stuff is AVM doing for, for this? I mean, I know they started out more. Give us a little history of AVM, if you could, just to so people, because I know that most of our, our viewers who are here with us live probably understand it, but I know a lot of our viewers who are going to do the the rewatch or the whatever you call replay um, probably aren't as familiar with the industry side of that, and they may not even realize what AVM is and does and how it started. Sure. So the AVM, we're at theavm.org. 
the American Vapor Manufacturers Association started in response to the FDA's PMTA process, a Byzantinian process where, as we learned, the barriers were set up intentionally to eliminate 99.9% of the market. And one of our board members, along with an ex-board member or ex-president, Man Wheeler, figured out that what the FDA was asking for could be standardized. And they came up with a batch processing system where if a manufacturer paid to become a member, then they came in and they would give uh, Char, uh, who's kind of been the head of that within AVM, their ingredient listings. You do surveys of your customers. We have all the science backing up flavors as important. We have all the science backing up vaping being less hazardous than smoking. Well, we're going to put all of your 10,000, 100,000 flavors into the batch program. And here's your PMTAs. And as a result, you had 200 plus companies that were able to file PMTAs that were accepted for review. And without AVM, I, I suspect it would be more in the dozens rather than that many. Right. And so AVM, once you resubmitted those applications, it then became AVM's job is to fight to get those applications accepted and actually authorized. And of course, we've seen the fatal flaw memo taking out many of the companies that applied. Some did were able to financially support lawsuits that were successful. We still have many more ongoing lawsuits. But our main mission at the federal level is FDA reform. And since, unfortunately, that's not likely to happen in the next two years, the job is just pushing back uh, and making noise. Um, and so just in two weeks, February 24th, uh, you can go to the avm.org. Uh, for details, Vaping360 also has a story up about it. At 1 p.m. on February 24th, we are going to be doing a one-hour uh, live Zoom sit-down with Dr. Brian King, the head of the FDA Center for Tobacco Products. Amazing. As far as I know, it is the first time that an FDA Center head, Center for Tobacco Products head, has done a live webinar with harm reduction advocates. You've yeah. certainly had times in the past where Mitch Zeller or Brian King has gone to the uh, do a tobacco industry conference and done a speech, but never has he had to sit down and actually engage in a dialogue for a full hour where there is no limits on the Q&A. And we are very much looking forward to that at the moment. What was that? And I know AVM is, is taking uh, like questions from people as Correct. far as my understanding goes. Anybody can basically go uh, to the site uh, to submit their questions, um, you know, and then maybe those, maybe they won't all get asked, but I think people are more than welcome to submit, um, questions that they yeah, would like. I'm dropping, uh, the link in the private chat. If you want to share that in the comments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're excited about that. It's going to be 40, the, the inspiration for it was back in November-ish, Brian King sat down for one hour with the Truth Initiative's Robin Coble. And of course, right after he booked out of what, what was he at that he booked out of after he made his comments and then wouldn't take any questions? Was that SRNT or what was that again? I don't it was remember. Not the SRNT. That was the, uh, the annual tobacco industry event, uh, tobacco nicotine, global tobacco nicotine forum. Forum. That's right. That's right. Yes. I get those. Initial immediately did his speech the night before there were, there were certainly rumors that, uh, well-placed rumors that King had agreed to do Q and A. Then it became no, then it became yes. Then you see he's got 45 minutes or so, however much booked. And then he's at the end of his presentation, but still has about six minutes left. 
my God, those last three slides, he took his sweet time getting through them. It was almost as if he had it all planned down to the second. Um, but when I saw that Brian King had done this event with an obviously partisan group that is pushing the FDA to do prohibition, I asked our great you're not, uh, PR you're talking about You're not talking about the other one you're talking about with the mom's one. That's when he sat down with them, you mean? Oh yes, when there's the truth. Not where he did his presentation, but then he the next day it was, I think, or something, because he's like, "Oh, we're too busy for you," but to take no, questions. No, that was uh, he's went to Dick Durbin's office. From <laughs> oh yeah, Dick Durbin's office. And then, it and was, then he met with the moms. Yeah, then he met with the moms, but then two months later, he sits down with the Truth Initiatives, Robin Koval, live in person, and gives a full hour. And I told our PR team, I said, "Well, if he's going to give a full hour to Robin Koval, we should ask for our full hour." And either he says yes, which we did not think was a possibility, or he says no, or we get no response. And then every time we speak to a journalist about the intransigence of dealing with the FDA, we bring that up. And to my surprise, uh, to his credit, Dr. Brian King said yes. Um, and they've certainly, they've asked for topics, they've asked for questions, they've suggested alternatives, but we've stuck to saying, hey, we want the exact same benefit, the exact same experience that Robin Koval had, and she seemingly just got to ask you questions. And that's what we'd like to do as well as uh, some Q&A from the audience. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think, cause we did put, I mean, after he met with Pave and, and booked on that, that other speech, after that other speech, he got a lot of like angry tweets and <laughs> stuff like that from, from the community too. So, I mean. So here's the thing I've learned. Journalists actually wrote about it as well. Yeah, so here's the thing I've learned. You can push back and we should push back in tweet form, but ultimately you want to make a record within the agency of your opposition and a record, maybe one that they actually have to reply to uh, or that they feel the need to reply to. So that's what we've been doing more of. Um, we're going to be sending a letter to the FDA commissioner in the next week or so because Guy Bentley at Reason revealed that and I think it was actually ABM found it and, and put it up on Twitter and he did an article about it, that when the Reagan Udall report came out, Dr. Califf scheduled four phone calls right before its release with each individual phone call, not, not one phone call, four people, four individual phone calls with a representative from the Heart Association, Lung Association, Cancer Society, and Thoracic Society. Nobody from the industry, tobacco or nicotine mm -hmm. industry, no CASA, got a phone call. And also, when two weeks prior to that, Reagan Udall released its food report, among the people that Dr. Califf called were Nestle. Nestle, which if you look up Nestle controversy, you'll certainly see that Nestle yeah. and the tobacco industry have had their fair share in uh, the past and the present of controversies. Um, so we are writing a letter pointing out, hey, if the FDA is so apt to not just talk to prohibitionist groups on the tobacco side, but also talk to industry on the food side. Why would we not also receive the benefit of a one-on-one -on -one phone call with the FDA commissioner? And, and just so to remind people, people, what he's talking about is the um, the review, basically, of how good of a job FDA is doing or not doing, if you recall that coming out. What was it? Like, Two months that was the end of December. Unfortunately, it was shortly before Christmas break, so nobody uh, nobody paid attention. Get many yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it was not good. For, it was not a good look for the FDA at all, for sure. <laughs> no, in uh, a combination of. With, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say there has been. Well, certainly, it's not where we want it to be. 
there has been a certain change in how the journalists on this beat, the few of them that there are now, look at FDA. More of them, they, they're certainly not fans of vaping because many of them are mini junior prohibitionists themselves, yeah. but they are more so looking at FDA more and more and going, what the hell is going on there? You had Jewel, you had Mitch leave, you had uh, King come in and say, even when menthol cigarettes are around, we're not going to allow menthol vaping products. And then you had this Reagan Udall report. So there is more and more recognition, even if they don't recognize that vaping is good, there is a recognition that the FDA doesn't know what it's doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that they're just completely not able to handle it for sure. Yeah, of course, we saw that years ago, right? Back, back, back in the days. They would, they would love it if people with guns went into vape shops and took away all the elf bars. They don't actually see a problem with, with actually enforcing this on free adults, but they are mm -hmm. more and more seeing that, that something's wrong with FDA. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a, an article that I tweeted about, well, Kassad tweeted about the other day that the, the it was, uh, I can't remember, isn't it Jason? He's a former uh, congressman or something, and he's a doctor or professor at a medical facility and one of the and he was talking about how they need to close the loopholes and all that other kind of stuff about I believe it was in was that Forbes I think I don't remember mm. but one of the things that he said was um oh yeah you know I'm I'm all for helping adults you know quit smoking and making sure that they get what they need to quit smoking and then ultimately you know off nicotine all, nicotine altogether and I was like just change those words just slightly to something like, you know, oh yeah, I'm all for helping people not be, oh, and have safer alternatives, he said in between there. And then, uh, and then ultimately off nicotine altogether. I mean, make, change that to alcohol. You know, we need to get people off whiskey to safer alcohol and then off alcohol altogether. We need to get people a safer, you know, pot, not to stop smoking pot and use safer alternatives and then off THC altogether. I mean, if you switch those around, you'd have the left just up in arms. <laughs> you know, and the right, actually. But say it's nicotine and, oh, yeah, yeah that it's makes more sense. war. And when 85% or so of Americans, depending on the survey, believe nicotines would kill smokers, you're going to get negative mm -hmm. reactions to the idea of people continuing to use nicotine. And that's mm -hmm. one of the sad things is FDA um, will go to private conferences and recognize in multiple slides that nicotine is not what kills smokers. And it would be, would it be great for society if we moved smokers to sway for nicotine products, but actually putting something up on their Twitter that says that is, is true. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. What, what they're saying in these, these, you know, meetings and whatnot are behind closed doors and what they're putting out to the public are two very different things. Yeah. yeah. And FDA's stance now that Brian King is embracing is, well, yes, perhaps we do need to uh, inform people, correct misperceptions, but we need to study how we do that without impacting children. And that then brings up the question of, have you ever asked the question, has FDA CTP ever asked the question, does this campaign directed at children lead to negative impacts in adults? That's exactly where I was going to go with it. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. When I they back care Mitch Zeller, adults. Yeah, back when the real cost campaign first went after vaping, Mitch Zeller's whole thing was we are laser targeting these ads yeah. so that they only impact youth and they don't scare adults away. And then meanwhile, you look at WWE, which is probably the 60% plus over the age of 35 that watched that show. I feel like the median age is 55. Uh, and those ads hey. are all over. That's how old I swim. am now, you know. I was going to say there were there were Adult Swim, uh, like Rick and Morty, real cost 
uh, commercials that ran, which is a, a TVMA show. It's you know, it's yeah. and it turns out maybe that, a cartoon, but it is intended for an adult audience. And it turns out that one half of the Rick and Morty duo is a terrible person, according to reporting that came out this week. So it lends to my theory that the more apt someone is to engage in the anti-vaping campaign, the more criminal and underhanded they are. <laughs> yeah, and, and the irony is like. You know, I'm 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 never somebody to to throw any other substance under the bus or whatnot, but to to just add a little irony to it, you have Rick, who is um, you know very dependent on alcohol. They they show this very often in the show. Uh, he drinks very regularly, so there's a lot of a lot of boozing on the side of Rick. And then here's Rick telling, you know, don't vape. It's 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 just a little. It just, it, it's really, it, it just misses the mark in so many ways. And I'll note that Duncan Hunter was pardoned. So he does not count on the side of the vape criminals. Pardoned. You was he pardoned? I hadn't heard what happened. I can't believe Trump happened. pardoned Duncan Hunter. Never forget, uh, uh, just never allow your wife to use your campaign credit card. It's clearly no, just her yeah, fault. Yeah, that'd be a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had another question. Now I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, oh, so... Uh, AVM started with the whole more focused on sort of getting the PMTA stuff done and then so, so kind of in limbo with that is so right now are they doing I mean you guys I don't know who does your uh, Twitter stuff the AVM Twitter stuff but they've been doing a pretty good job with it every once in a while we're kind of like eh, but <laughs> we're looking at it from a different perspective and and like you were saying earlier as consumer advocates we sometimes have to come at things a little differently than industry advocates do. And we end up working, we, we, it's a symbiotic sort of thing. It's like you take on some stuff as an industry, you take on some stuff as, as consumers, you know, like you said, when you get there, people are like, well, you, you just work for them. So you're just industry. So that's one of the reasons why we as a consumer agency are always telling people, you need to show up too. You can't just have a vape shop show up. You can't just have a vape company show up. You need to show up as a constituent and say, I'm a real person who's not making money off of this. So that's kind of why you do need both consumer and industry. But um, all of that to say, <laughs> now that you're, that, that it's kind of in limbo with PMTA, you're just kind of waiting for the FDA to get off its ass. Um, are you guys doing more with uh, like showing up around the country at things like new, I mean, you were at Connecticut, but you're kind of on the East coast there. So are you guys, kind of moving around and, and doing that stuff now still at, at, at are you doing did you do that as AVM? Yes. So we There's are a lot there. I'm sorry. Part of, <laughs> part, part of what I was hired to do was, was legislative affairs. So at the state and Congress level. So we do have in addition to our comms firm that does work on our, our Twitter threads and, and all of our public comms, comms releases, we do have a lobbying team in dc so i'll be spending some time down there doing more meetings with members of congress uh, to try to fend off and we're not going to get any gigantic wins out of congress but the kind of win that i like is when something gets floated and doesn't happen um but yeah we are focusing on the state level uh, i would be doing more traveling to the states if uh, our budget was was larger uh, i'm certainly hopeful that uh some i of feel the, your pain on that one certainly <laughs> Uh, it's sad that inflation has really hit travel as somebody who was constantly yeah. on the road uh, for five years of my life. Um, but we are hoping that in 2023 will be the year that the disposable companies uh, located outside of America will recognize that they need to uh, keep their keep the borders open here in America mm -hmm. if they want to uh, continue to create gen generational wealth. 
So yeah. um, it's getting banned I everywhere else. Be, if I could, I would be back on the road 160 days out of the year. Um, and hopefully that will that will come soon enough. I, I wanted to mention this earlier that I, I don't think you got into uh, Amanda and Char, 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 Char. <laughs> she, they were they were both um, vapors who started businesses, right? I mean, they started, they switched from, from smoking, went to vaping. Uh, Char, I think, has vape shops. And then she started a line. She's in Texas, right? Lisa, yes. Texas. And then. And, and Amanda then, is a cancer survivor, smoker. Her husband was a smoker, quit with vaping, and then she opened up shops in Arizona and uh, Arizona, Colorado, Oklahoma, I feel like, five shops. And she right. had an online business before that got crushed. Right. Um, and I was Amanda was the reason why I decided to give AVM like a chance where I decided to say, hey, if you can pay me for a year, uh, I, I was willing to take the the jump because I was so impressed with her. And of course, now Amanda was so impressive that Philip Morris offered her a job running, she uh, part, away. running the mountain states, I believe, for state government relations. Uh, but she deserved it because she came into this completely selfless. She didn't get paid by AVM. Um, I was on the road with her on the uh, the Right to Vape, We Vape, We mm -hmm. Vote tour just a couple months ago. I wish there was a camera on one moment where I told her uh, I want you to do the local news interview because you're a nice, you're a nice mom with pearls on, and I'm a evil tobacco industry guy. And <laughs> I wish there was a camera on her because I I went up to a man. I'm like, hey, let me fix your hair. And, uh, <laughs> and it felt incredibly awkward to do, but I was like, that's what you got to do for TV. <laughs> now, is she? Do you know? Is she doing like a like a vape sector? Is she like in the vape sector of Philip Morris, or is she no, like so Philip in Morris International? Um, they're not going to be selling. Well, they they now own Philip Morris International. So, you think of Philip Morris, you think Marlboro cigarettes. Marlboro cigarettes. The right to license the licensing to sell those products is in the hands of Altria, the completely okay. separate organization that controls Marlboro, controls all the cigarettes in America. Philip Morris International now coming into America, back to America for the first time since they split 20 years ago or so, 18 years ago. Right. Oh they are only in non-combustibles. So next year, 2024, they get back the rights to ICOS. They just recently bought Swedish Match. So they now have General Snooze with MRTPs that sadly no one, no one uses anymore. But they also own, more importantly to them, uh, nicotine pouches that are currently right. in the PMTA process. Um, and they we, they don't have currently a vapor product for the United States that I expect to change one day, uh, but they are solely focused on non-combustibles in America. And it looks like they may, uh, Russia and Ukraine may have screwed up a little bit of their plan, but it looks like, I feel yeah. like by, 20, by 2025, they're going to be at least at 45% of their revenue coming from non-combustibles. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. And I just, that's why I wanted to point out to people that, you know, just like CASA, AVM is not this big, huge organization with like all these big companies behind it. It's small manufacturers. We're basically, you know, uh, consumers. We have vape shops who help back us and stuff too. But it, it's, it was one of those things that you remember back in the day, Greg, it was sort of fake it till you make it, you know, and it was, and people would always be like, why aren't you out lobbying and flying to all these different places, you know, and you're like, we don't have the money for that. Well, I donated 10 bucks last month. 
what are you doing with all that money? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, I mean, back then we didn't even have a paid CEO or, you know, paid member coordinator. I did that. once play a great joke on Julie Westner when she was in charge of CASA. After I'd left, we had at AVA, we got an access to a good pot of money. And so I decided to donate something like $10,000 to CASA. And I didn't want to just give it to Julie and have her smile and be happy. I wanted to terrify her. So I got Julie's dress and there was somebody at the time who I won't get into the details, but was threatening Kasa with lawsuits and stuff because Kasa oh. had said, your, your plan for the FDA is insane. And it was insane. Um, but I decided to take advantage of that. And I drew up a legal letter, a legal threat um, saying that we are filing a lawsuit in the X district of Wisconsin uh, citing all these things, including um, the legal term for loss of sexual relations, loss of consortium. I <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and then I put, I believe I put at the bottom of the letter, check at the back of this, this letter for the, the legal complaint. And it was the check from ABA uh. to Julie. So she did say she had a heart attack at the post office before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I just thought it was important because the, the, progression of a lot of this of people starting as people who smoke who go to vaping who become passionate enough to want to get involved in advocacy or to start their vape shops and so we're all a lot of us are all this really the same thing we want the same same people in a lot of ways that want the same things but just some people went straight off into advocacy instead of starting businesses and some people went off into starting businesses and that was their form of advocacy in a lot of ways too yeah they could sell a way to make money off of it but they're also providing jobs and, and taxes into communities and all these other things that they're doing. And they're just normal people. And that's where, you know, Amanda and, and Sharge started off too. That's where you started. That's where Kasa started. Um, but there is, there still kind of has to be a separation of what you say, consumer advocacy versus the industry. There's still a need for both of those things because they can kind of do different things and are sort of viewed a different way when depending on who you're approaching. Would you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I do think there should be a separation, uh, a wall of sorts between industry and consumers, but you need to have continuing good relationships. You need to work together. Uh, when you mentioned earlier, the importance of consumers showing up at hearings is especially daunting or disappointing when they are on Zoom and people can just show up and sometimes they're not even long hearings. They're hearings where we yeah. tell you, if you show up at one, you're going to be out the door or off your Zoom by 2.15. Uh, because the ideal for one of these hearings, uh, if we can't have a gigantic audience of people, then the ideal in my mind is you have an industry representative like myself. You have someone from a think tank that has an MPH or something fancy next to their name. You have a couple consumers. You have a couple vape shop owners talking about the small business angle. Maybe even you throw in the large out-of-state tobacco company who says, we pose this bill and we uh, are great supporters of various uh, state political parties in the state. So you should, you should give us a little credit too. You, when you don't have, when, you miss, when you're missing a piece of, of that pie, um, you, you don't get uh, the, the results that you do when you do. Yeah. And it's, and you can't, if, if say an industry group, you end up with things like, um, what is that smoke free world, whatever it is that foundation or whatever. Foundation. That, yeah. The tobacco foundation. As soon as you get associated with industry, and this is a horrible thing because I mean, 
researchers and and anti vaping, anti tobacco, anti uh, harm reduction groups all take industry money. It's just not the enemy's money, and, but it's it still affects it. They'll take Robert Johnson Foundation, Big Pharma. You know, they'll take all that money. But as soon as as normal people, we don't have the same trust credit points. You know, we don't have, the public doesn't know us from Adam. You know, we could be anybody. We're not the American Heart Association, so trusted and the American Lung Association, you know. So we're not, we're not, um, we don't have that name going for us. And as soon as you say, well, I, I work for an organization that took money from a vape shop or whatever, you know, all of a sudden you're just, well, your opinion doesn't count anymore. You know, and that's why you need to sometimes have an organization that's a little bit separate that the people who are showing up for it aren't getting paid for it. They aren't getting, you know, they're not a lobbyist. They're not working for any company. They don't own a, a vape shop or an e-liquid company or whatever. And when they get accused of that, which, and they're not a bot, like we always get accused of being on Twitter, <laughs> you know, and, but by the same token, we don't have all that money that a lot of these bigger companies have to send lobbyists and things like that. And like the tobacco companies, you know, that can pay for some of this stuff. So, and it seems like a lot of the times, like you said, the consumers won't really show up sometimes. So you do need, but they always do these things sometimes at like, what, like weirdest times short. It's always one o'clock on a Tuesday. Yeah. It's yeah. like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy when I get word from uh, Alex that, a large percentage of the CASA membership in a state has responded to a call to action. At least uh, people are doing that. And and the numbers generally that I think CASA gets from its members are much better than most advocacy organizations. So sometimes when people get disappointed in, uh, in vapors, I, I point out, hey, it was a very special case. Back 2010 to 2014, 2015, not many people were vaping. When you don't have a lot of people vaping, you feel like if I don't do this, nobody else will. True. And now you have 12 to 18 million Americans vaping. So it's very easy to think, oh, well, I would much rather spend my day, my day off doing something fun than, than <laughs> sitting in a hearing. And I completely understand that. Uh, yeah. But it is still your voice does actually matter, uh, particularly one thing people forget is just because you send an email in 2014 or 2016 or 2018, your representative, one, could have forgotten about it, and two, may no longer be in office. You may have somebody yeah. from, a, from a completely different party or somebody who's the uh, same party but completely different uh, belief system on vices. So don't yeah. just give up because the guy four years ago uh, voted yes on a dumb bill. Yeah. Sure. And then I think two speaking of way back when, and then we're going to wrap it up because I see what time it is now. Um, the, the back in the day, there was no industry wasn't really even involved in anything. And that's kind of flipped a lot that industry is getting a lot more involved and, and doing more lobby. Well, especially, you know, the tobacco industry is doing a lot of it for us, but, but having a, a group like AVM, I mean, you remember all the different trade groups that we went through back then. <laughs> I mean, there was like a new one popping up every other week. So, um, so maybe we're, as consumers, we were always saying, you guys need to get involved, get involved. You need to get involved. And now we're finally seeing them get involved and the consumers seem like they're falling back. And it's like, you guys, it's just as important that you keep involved and keep doing it. And you got your foot kind of in both rings, don't you? Because with AVA and 
ABA. Yeah, I try. I try. Yeah, AVA is, is mostly on pause at the moment, as I said, right. uh, not being paid by AVA. Um, but I want to keep it alive in some form, maybe change it uh, in the future to a C3, which would allow tax deductible donations. We just couldn't be involved in politics at that point. Uh, but we will see. There's definitely uh, room for something, but but not in its not in the form that it had been existing. Awesome. Yeah. So, like Kristen said, we're definitely we're definitely well uh, into the hour here, so we're gonna wrap things up. But just, I kind of just want to, I, I guess, ask you, um, you know, in in all your years of not only being a consumer but being an advocate being in this space being involved in tobacco harm reduction and making all these phone calls doing all of these things just general i guess advice for advocates out there whether it be on on twitter or people making phone calls particularly consumer advocates um what advice do you have right now in 2023 for folks out there uh just just in this space which always just feels so daunting and exhausting and you know i i know so many people who have who've come and gone in this space um who it, it's just too much they go through burnout they walk away from this so just to, just general advice for folks right now going forward um yeah I, th I think one good thing is is don't let it overtake your life there are people like me who i'm paid for this to be my life uh that's the choice i made but you as a consumer advocate uh, have other interests, have a, live your life. Don't you as somebody who, for example, is, is online. If there is a flavor ban in your city or your state, you're going to find a way to continue to get your products and you're going to continue to help people that you care about get, get the products they need. Um, but when, if you are being at, at, active on social media in, in the vape space, keep in mind that 85%, as I said earlier, of Americans think nicotine is what causes smoking-related disease. 70% plus think vaping could be just as bad as smoking. So there is a catharsis to responding to Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids or Bloomberg and saying, you're a bunch of lying liars, go to hell. And, you know, I'm not going to disagree with that. But then when you're dealing with the general public or a doctor in, in Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie with 200 followers or the mom uh, with a blue wave in her profile and 600 followers. Right. They are not saying what they're saying, tweeting what they're saying because they're getting paid to do it. They're not, they're, they're stating their genuine opinion. And if you just come back at them and say, F you, you're wrong, they're not going to re-examine themselves. And that's one thing I do really greatly admire about the vapors on Twitter and on social media. A bunch mm. of them are excellent at showing empathy, showing understanding, uh, trying to uh, lead people to the right answer without being mean. Uh, but that's just something. Most of our about. viewers in the chat right now. Yeah, of course. Of <laughs> we'll course. like that. It's all the ones that aren't in the chat that are the problem. Um, but just keep it up. Um, this, someone said to me 10 years ago or so when I started to get involved in this from the tobacco side of the industry that this is just a series of losing wars. And it's about extending the lifespan and the ability for people to buy your products, to sell your products as long as possible. And maybe we're gonna change that paradigm one day where all of a sudden we recognize, yes, cigarettes are bad, but nicotine actually isn't so bad. Uh, but until then, you're gonna lose a lot of fights. We're gonna lose a lot of battles. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what? 
you got 10 to you got 12 to 18 million Americans that want these products. Nobody right now is getting arrested for them. Nobody under the current law can be arrested for possessing them. This market's going to continue. Just just keep up the fight. Yeah, that was a big thing was getting it. The more people who were doing it, the better. And that was one of the things with early days of with the FDA. It's like, we just got to stay alive long enough to get enough people to do it and switch. And that's right. going to make a difference because it's just going to get too, too big to fail. I hate to say that, but you know what yeah. I mean. But Australia is an island and they cannot stop. <laughs> well, best of luck in America. Best True. of luck to Brian King. I wish you a, I wish you great, great health. I look forward to your guys' uh, Q&A. And I will put that in the description as well. I'll post that Excellent. link in there. Greg, thank you so awesome. much. I know Excellent. this was short notice and we really appreciate it. Sorry to surprise you with the video, but you look fine. You look good. No problem. I'm going to go spend some time with my grandma. You do that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you so Greg. much. Uh, See you guys. Yeah. Take care. Take it easy. All right. Well, Greg Conley, everybody. Good Lord. What a fantastic conversation. Seriously. Okay. We were a little worried earlier that we might have to have a plan B, but Greg showed up in the <laughs> time ready to go. So hats off to him. Hats off to everybody over at AVM for all the work that they're doing. Uh, I think this is a, a really good conversation mm -hmm. that um, that I think a lot of folks maybe, maybe needed and didn't even realize it. Um, early on in me getting involved in advocacy, that kind of separation between consumer advocacy and industry advocacy was often really blurred uh, as to who was doing what and why, why industry advocates or, or organizations were, were behind or for some things that consumers didn't seem to be behind or for, and, and getting a good perspective on, on how necessary and, like you said earlier, that those symbiotic relationships often are how necessary both sides of this are. So thank you to all of our viewers. Thank you to uh, to everybody who tuned in today and the replay watchers. I will not forget you ever again, I promise. <laughs> um, but that's, I think that's that's it today. That is where we're going to wrap this up. Yeah, we'll be back Any in two weeks. And yeah, um, sure. they're, they're kind of, you guys are kind of talking about figuring, we mentioned Twitter spaces earlier. We're hopefully going to work on some of those. Um, but please be sure to, if you live in any of those states that we mentioned, go check out your uh, state page on CASA.org and um, or um, your Facebook. We each Facebook, each state has a Facebook page as well. And you want to do your whole website t-shirt spiel thing? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to ask if you had any other final thoughts for everybody before I get into the spiel, but I suppose that's it. Uh, first and foremost, if you are not yet currently a member of CASA, you are absolutely doing everything wrong. Leave this stream just wrong. You're doing it all wrong. Leave this stream immediately. Turn this video off. Head over to CASA.org. Sign up to become a member today. It's absolutely free. And we promise that we only blow up your email when we absolutely have to. We don't just send you an email every day to say hello. Uh, only when we have to. And there are important things, when there are relevant things going on that you can get involved in directly, like these calls to action that we have going on right now. Uh, other than that, over on CASA.org, if you, if you want to take the time and submit your testimony about you quitting smoking with any of the products that are combustion-free, smoke-free, things that reduce the harm in our lives, uh, please share your testimony. We have over 13,000 of them 
and it's still not enough. We absolutely need more. We we really need 13 million. I think that's the current goal. That's what go. we're going okay. for. So uh, get over to Casada.org, put in your testimony, submit it today. And also, while you're there, if you're so inclined to donate to Casada, we absolutely appreciate every penny of it. And if maybe you don't want to just send out a donation because, oh, darn it, I'm not getting anything back for it, head over to our merch store where you can check out all this awesome swag that our own president of the board, Danielle Jones, designed. You get to be a walking billboard of tobacco harm reduction, so you definitely get that cool swag, and we get a little bit of that as well on our end. Both ways to donate, both ways help Casa immensely. Definitely consider doing either of those or both if you're so inclined to do so. Other than that, I think besides uh, the show in two weeks, which as far as I guess Kristen and I both know is still on as far as we know we don't have as far a as we know for a guest on, yet. if you guys have any topics or guests you'd like us to try to get shoot us a tweet or facebook message or something yeah absolutely you can always email us your tweets and that's that was the other thing i was going to mention if you're not following us on social media it's at Casa Media, just about everywhere you go, whether that's on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, and if you are on Facebook, I don't, I rarely get on the book of faces, but if you I'm are not. over there on Facebook, uh, you can head over to the Casa Facebook page. We also have state pages. So if you live in a state in America, there's a page directly for you. Uh, and, and these pages not Rico. only, and Puerto Rico, yes, as well. Um, these pages are fantastic, not just because you get to, to hang out and be in the state group with all of your fellow uh, vapors, but there are a lot of times where uh, small uh, municipalities, local things like that may go under our radar with all of the tracking that Kassab does. There are over 30,000 local governments in this country. Some of those things fly under the radar. And if you catch wind of something, that's a great place to give everybody a heads up, to be even more involved than you already are. Mm -hmm. uh, and we thank all of the members, everybody over in the state pages who uh, who, who pitch in towards all of that. Um, again, CASA isn't just this board. It's not just Alex and Kristen and me and Danielle. CASA is all of us. Every single one of us, all, all 400 million members. We're not that. We don't have 400 million yeah. members. We wish though, but, uh, but yeah, it's all of us, you guys, it's, it takes a village. It's all a team effort. So, uh, join Casa today for sure. And if you're already there, thank you. And thank you for being here as well today. I think I got it. I think I did it. That felt like a really long winded spiel, but I think I made it. I don't know why, but who knows? I feel like I haven't done it. It's a little bit longer show today, but you know, it was so interesting talking to Greg and, and it was like a blast from my past too. So <laughs> It was Did you get fun. nostalgic during that? I got a little, yeah, because he, yeah. he was there in the early days, you know, some of the earlier days. Not as early as me, because I'm like, old. Oh. I love when he threw out the 55-year-old something. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, I'm 55 now. I don't think you realize. <laughs> that was uh. too funny, but yeah. Anyhow, so I guess, yeah, we're good. And um, we'll hopefully see you guys in two weeks and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be excellent to each other, everybody. We're out of here. Bye.